0: Awaken Podcast. I
1: hope you enjoy the teaching. Well, good morning, friends, and welcome to the virtual gathering, also known as Awaken. So glad that you are here, whether you're here by audio or by video. Um, Thank you for joining us. Uh, I want to begin with prayer this morning, with all that is going on in the world that we live in and the rate at which it's happening, which uh, prayer seems about the only thing that feels appropriate. So uh, join me in prayer and then let's join our voices together in song. Good and gracious God, thank you for this day. Thank you for uh, who you are. Um, we stand in awe of uh, who you are and, and knowing that um, the spark of life that is in each person is the spark of your divine life. So, God, differences among culture and races and bodies are not to be feared, but rather celebrated as manifestations of you and your light. So, God, open our hearts, open our minds, um, make us bigger uh, to celebrate the similarities and the differences that we find among our brothers and our sisters. We place in you our hopes for harmony, for peace. um, And I pray that you would lead us, uh, that we might learn to live in peace God, you're the source of dignity, and it's in your image that we are created. So pour out on us your spirit of love and compassion. May we remember that we are sons of, daughter, sons of Adam and daughters of Eve, that we are brothers and we are sisters. We are one, just as you are one, Father, Son, and Spirit. We pray in the strong name of Christ. Amen. Let's sing together.
0: song of blessing over our kids join me as we pray this prayer over them
1: Friends, uh, a couple of quick announcements before we get to the teaching, which is happening here in a moment. Um, first and foremost, happy Father's Day. Uh, I, I actually, I, I'm going to need a Bible, too. I've got somebody looking for a Bible, so that's coming in just a moment. J- just as we were about to cut into this, I was like, oh, no, I need a Bible. This is a problem. We're live on TV, Micah. Get it together. Father's Day, though. That's, that's real. That's happening. That's today. Um, June 21st, so h- happy Father's Day to all the fathers out there. Um, we're glad you're here, we're, we're grateful for you. Thank you, Josie. Um, also, we had planned on doing outdoor worship on the 28th of June, the last Sundays of July and August, and you know, I got really bad news, friends. No one is issuing park permits. Like, we looked at St. Paul, we looked at Minneapolis, we looked at some of those crazy suburb folks, you know, uh, Roseville, Egan, West St. Paul, Nobody. Um, so uh, w- w- we can't even we can't even do that. Um, so the plans to worship outdoors next week and uh, at least for next week are off the table. Um, and we want to encourage you. Um, we're going to make lemonade here. Uh, want to encourage you? Uh, gather together, maybe with your life group or some people that you know, and maybe a smaller version, of a little awaken gathering, if you're up for it. So feel free to do that. Um, also. Um, Mandy wanted me to pass on a Run and Fun, which is a, a kids' community activity. Pa- uh, Mr. Art and uh, Miss Rachel Autumn are both runners. They are leading a little activity for kids, which is get them outside, let's exercise them, let's have some fun together. Um, and so you can sign up for that. That's in your Awaken Weekly, uh, if you get that. And then I wanted to just mention the learning opportunities that we mentioned last week. Uh, so there are two book studies. Uh, my grandmother's hands. One's, excuse me, being led by Mel. Uh, for artists. One's being led by Jane. Uh, There is a Raising White Kids uh, book study that Mandy is leading and then Laura and I are are gonna lead a essentially film discussion. So um, some Sundays coming up, four weeks coming up, all that's in the Awaken Weekly. Um, so there's a link for that. And so wanna encourage you to do that. We also recognize that like many of you are already doing this. You're reading books, you're engaging, you're you're on the journey um, and that's wonderful. So we don't want to like make pe- make people feel bad um, but we also want to like pastor you well and offer opportunities to continue to grow and learn and, and be formed in this tradition that we call the way of Jesus. Um, so those are some opportunities for your growth. Since we're not meeting this summer, we don't have learning labs, um, wanted to offer those as a way to continue to engage. So uh, some of you, you, you may feel like, oh my gosh, um, I need a break. Uh, I'm I, like, I'm, I'm tired. Um, recognize, yep, that's that's true for many of us. Um, rest is good. Sabbath and rhythm is a part of our life together spiritually, and we celebrate that. I also want to recognize that for many of us who are not people of color, um, that is an option that we have and where we can check in and check out of the conversation as we want to. Um, and um, many would argue that's the definition of privilege. That's one of the definitions of privilege, where we get to say, you know what, I need a break. Um, and so I want to hold those intention of like Sabbath and rhythm and rest is good. You can't continue to give um, when you have nothing to give. But also, um, if you if you have it in you, let's keep going um, one step at a time. So, uh, and then last but not least, the book dragon is out there, friends. I've seen pictures of the book dragon being passed around, which is so cool. So continue to do that. If you find the book dragon comes to your house, some coffee should have been delivered this week. So. Um, the book dragon is still out there, so uh, keep sending pictures of that and um, that's fantastic. So today we're going to continue our series started last week by Melody, by the way, great job Mel, thank you, uh, Psalm 37, always fun to hear her voice and um, be led by, by by Melody, so thank you for that. Uh, the series is called Lost in Translation, so if you're just joining us or you're new to Awaken, um, this is something that we do typically each summer, and it it uh, it allows you to travel and sort of go to your cabins and and come and, and go as as you as you as you can and you do, um, and not have su- Sunday mornings sort of building on top of each other. But you can catch a one-off of Lost in Translation, and it should still make sense. And then also it seems to peak interest. You know, people are like, "Oh my gosh, what are we talking about next week? Crazy Lost in Translation." Um, so it keeps people engaged, which is good. Um, and in the series, we take the hardest, most difficult passages, the most bizarre passages we can find, and we just sort of face them head on with our eyes open and try to understand what they mean and what they're saying. And we do this for a couple of reasons, the first of which is modeling. As one of your pastors, I want to model for you what it looks like to engage the Bible. I want to. I want you to see the questions that I'm asking. I want you to see the process that I'm sort of walking through as I come to a difficult passage. Um, I want you to to see that how, how we as a staff are taking it seriously. Of course, this assumes that my process is worth watching and my questions are worth emulating. Um, and without being um, thinking too highly of myself, I want to lead in that way. And so that's one of the reasons why we do the series. The other is, I want you to see our commitment to Scripture and my commitment to Scripture. Uh, the Bible is, or I should say, Christ is the Word of God revealed. So the Christ becomes Jesus incarnate and... Jesus is is essentially God revealed to us or infleshed and the Bible then bears witness to that story. So these are the words of God and the collection of God's interaction and story of God's redemptive acts in history through the people Israel and then Jesus and then the church. I believe it to be inspired by God, I believe it to be authoritative for the life of the church and for the Christian and I believe that God still speaks through it and so I want I want to hear God and so that's why we do this series. Uh, a couple of reasons why. So, last, last summer we did Lost in Translation, The Words of Jesus. This year we're doing Lost in Translation, um, Wisdom Literature. So if you didn't know, in the Bible, the Hebrew Bible, which we call the Old Testament, it's broken up into three categories or three books. The first of which is Torah. First five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Torah. The next section is called Nevim, or the prophets. And then the last section is called Ketuvim, or the writings, or wisdom. So this includes Psalms, um, Proverbs, Song of Solomon. We're going to get to that. That'll be fun. (laughs) uh, We're going to get to that. Ecclesiastes, Lamentations, Ezra, Nehemiah, Daniel, these all fall in Ketuvim. So our Lost in Translation passages are coming from that section of Scripture this summer. So let's rock and roll. Let's do this. How about it? I wanna begin with a quote from Jeremiah Wright. Jeremiah Wright was the uh, pastor of the Obamas before they moved to the White House. And among clergy and pastor people, he preached a somewhat famous sermon on the passage or the the Psalm that we're gonna be studying this morning, which is Psalm 137. And so this is how he began, I'm quoting now. Come back with me in time, way back to a faraway place and stand for a moment shoulder to shoulder with another people in another place, another time, another predicament, a people in a predicament of pain, nothing like yours, nothing like anything you've experienced or could even imagine, just quietly stand and feel. Don't say a word, just let their lives speak to your life, their spirits to your spirit, not even a whisper, for they will fall strangely silent if they detect a stranger in their midst. Just stand where they stand for a moment and listen. So I want to invite you to do that as we read from Psalm 137. If you have your Bibles, turn there. If you can stand and are able, I'd invite you to do so. The psalmist writes this. By the rivers of Babylon we sat and wept when we remembered Zion. There on the poplars we hung our harps, for there our captors asked us for songs. Our tormentors demanded songs of joy. They said, sing us one of the songs of Zion. How can we sing the songs of the Lord while in a foreign land? If I forget you, Jerusalem, may my right hand forget its skill. May my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth if I do not remember you. If I do not consider Jerusalem my highest joy. Remember, Lord, what the Edomites did on the day Jerusalem fell. Tear it down, they cried. Tear it down to its foundations. Daughter Babylon, doomed to destruction, happy is the one who repays you according to what you have done to us. Happy is the one who seizes your infants and dashes them against the rocks. God, this morning as we turn to the scriptures and this psalm, this song sung by the ancient Jews, I pray that you would open our eyes that we might see something we haven't seen before, that we might hear something we haven't heard before, that you would uh, enliven these words to us, to form us and shape us into the people of God who follow this Jesus. I pray in the strong name of Christ, amen. So the Israelites, descendants of Africans, sit by the rivers of Babylon 600 years before Jesus ever comes on the scene and they are in a predicament. We call that predicament exile. And in exile, the empire changes your name. They strip you of your history, they try to convince you that your story and your history never mattered. They. Make sure that all you learn, if anything, is the narrative of the empire. It often breaks up your family and it takes you your faith away from you. It tries to convince you that its gods are more powerful than yours. And exile is brutalizing and unrelenting to you as a person and as a community. I don't think we can even begin to understand what that's like in 2020. I can't. But try as we might. What's fascinating is this fact. When the Babylonian Empire did these things that I just mentioned, empires and and, uh, do, to the Israelites and more, one of the ways the Israelites, the Jews, responded was by writing songs, psalms. Which is fascinating because often out of oppressed people comes some of the greatest music the world has ever known. So here is a psalm, a song of Zion to be specific, uh, an African-Israelite spiritual, if you will, written right smack dab in the middle of exile, oppression, grief, sadness, anger. And this this is an existential and a theological moment of crisis for the people of God. A moment where God is nowhere to be found, at least in your experience of God, when all that you believe to be true about God is no longer coming to to life when that God is for you and you are his people and justice and righteousness will win the day and the wicked won't prosper. All the opposites are happening. And so I want to ask what's created in this moment? Like what do we learn? What's important for us to see and notice from the 137th Psalm? What might we learn for us in our world and our time? And how do we handle the psalmist's prayer to take the the children of the Babylonians and and end them, to say it lightly. So today I want to notice three things that we see in Psalm 137. We see an honesty, we see a commitment to remember, and we see a a release of all emotion to the divine. Um, Before we do that, a couple of sort of context questions or explorations. Like, uh, what What is this psalm in the greater book of psalms? And where is it located in kind of the historical narrative of the Bible? And then we'll get to what we see in the psalm. So first, what is it? Uh, this is an imprecatory psalm. Such a great word to say, imprecatory. Kids, say that with me, imprecatory. Um, one of my daughter's favorite words is uh, notification. I would add Imprecatory to the list of favorite words. Um, it comes from the word imprecate and that means to invoke or call down evil or curses as upon a person. So this is where the psalmist like rains down judgment on the enemies of God. This is where they just like open up a can and let out all the things that are in the heart but that nobody has the guts to say. Uh, this is, um, and, and there are a number of psalms that fall into this category in the book of Psalms, imprecatory psalms. Uh, this one's a little tricky, though, because it also has lament. It starts with lament, and then there's confession. Um, and so some argue that it falls in the lament psalms. Some, some argue it falls in the confession psalms. But who can really forget the last line of the psalm, right? The one that everyone remembers. The desire of the psalm is to dash the heads of the Babylonian children on the rocks. I would say that's about as imprecatory as we get in the Bible. So I'm going to stick with that, that this is an imprecatory psalm. And it's also considered to be one of the songs of Zion, which is sort of a subcategory within the Psalms. There are certain ones that fall into this camp of like, these are songs to Zion or songs of Zion. And normally they have a threefold structure. There is Yahweh, there is Zion or Jerusalem, and then the defeat of an enemy. But this one actually is a bit bizarre and backwards because really what you have is the victorious enemy, the Babylonians, Jerusalem or Zion, and then the defeated nation of Israel. So this isn't just about being homesick. This is a big conversation. This is theological. It's existential. What do you do when what you believe to be true about God is not true or not, not uh, real in your experience? Um, what happens when the enemies of God triumph? What happens or what do you do with oppression and exile and, and, and enslavement? How do you exercise faith when you are the captives in exile and not the victors in the promised land? So this is an imprecatory psalm. This is the psalmist's attempt to work out the difficulties of exile and faith. Now, where is it located? Uh, in the 150, book, 150 psalms in the Book of Psalms, there is one that has like a specific historical location, and it's this one, the 137th. And it is located in 587 to 586 BC in in uh, amidst the Babylonian exile. Uh, if you remember history, the Babylonians were the first of many empires who Uh, who ruled over, who who invaded and occupied Israel. So you had the Babylonians, the Assyrians, the Persians, the Medes, the the Greeks, and then the Romans. Um, The Babylonians were one of the only empires that actually exiled or deported the Israelites to a foreign land. When the Medes and the Persians come and take over the Babylonians, they allow the Israelites to come back to Jerusalem. This is the book of Ezra and Nehemiah when they come back and rebuild the wall. But the books of Daniel and the book of um, Ezra and Nehemiah are are found in this section of history. So this psalm speaks specifically to the first and second waves of of Israelites who are deported from their homeland by an invading empire. And it speaks to exile and enslavement in a foreign land against your will. It is an active remembrance by a people who are in exile. The 137th Psalm. So, what do we see? What can we learn from this? Again, honesty, remembering, and releasing. And these are three things I want to draw our attention to this morning. But before I do that, I want to just say this is um, this is big. This is broad. This is... Uh, I hope an offering that is for any and all. So, regardless of how you're engaging the civil unrest in our world, in our communities, in our cities, regardless of what you think about policing and the way forward, regardless of what you think about politics or Trump or Republican or Democrat or November, um, this is what I what I hope to offer this morning is not beholden to any political slant or ideology. Um, so it is, I hope, accessible. The table is big here this morning, friends. Um, So first, what do we see in Psalm 137? And I would begin with honesty. I wanna go back to where we started with Pastor Wright's invitation. Not even a whisper, for they will fall strangely silent if they detect a stranger in their midst. Just stand where they stand for a moment and listen. Wherever you are, I wanna, unless you're driving or riding a bike, or some other motor vehicle, I want to invite you to close your eyes and try to imagine what you hear and feel what the psalmist is trying to say. Try to stand for a moment and listen. By the rivers of Babylon, we sat and wept when we remembered our home home the city of God, the light on a hill that cannot be hidden, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. There, on the poplars in Babylon, we hung up our instruments. This was the day the music died. For here, our captives, our oppressors, they mocked us, And they said, sing songs, songs of joy. Sing us one of those songs from Zion. And we replied, how? How can we sing the songs of the Lord while in a foreign land? Like what happens in your soul when you hear that? What do you envision in your mind when you hear the the heartbreak of an oppressed people being mocked by their oppressors? I read this week a speech by Frederick Douglass that he was asked to give on the 4th of July. And it's called, What to a Slave is the 4th of July? And in it, he quotes from Psalm 137 about not forgetting. But in this speech he said, what to the American slave is your 4th of July? I answer, a day that reveals to him more than all the other days in the year, the gross injustice and cruelty to which he is the constant victim. Like being asked to sing a song of Zion by the Babylonian Empire. The psalmist here in the beginning of this psalm is offering a brutally honest retelling of the past, leaving nothing out, no qualifiers, no, no excuses, just pure and raw and honest emotion, heartbreak. And I have said this so many times at Awaken, I feel like I don't need to say it anymore. Like people are probably like, Micah, we know. But then I find people who have just made their way here, who have just wandered into our community and who didn't come from traditions or, or, or churches where you were allowed to be completely honest with God. And I realized that I need to keep on saying it and I need to keep giving you permission to be totally gut level, brutally honest in the presence of the divine. I am interested in helping to create the kind of space where a a spiritual life and and, and a, a journey with God that will stand up under the pressures of life. Um, a faith community and, and a faith that's integrated and that will last and that will stand the test of time. And after 20 years of doing this as a pastor, one thing I am, be, I am most certain of is that if you have a chance of building that kind of faith and that kind of interior world with the divine, it begins with honesty. Where you don't pretend to hold back anything from God, where you don't pretend to understand or agree when you don't, When you leave no stone unturned, when you leave no question unasked, where, yes, you offer your praise and your love and your adoration of God in one breath, but in the next breath you offer your evil and the hate that lives in that same heart to that same God. This is how the psalmist begins, with honesty. An accurate, honest retelling of the past. An honest account of that moment and these moments of exile and what it felt like to experience that. And then in verses 5 and 6, we see a commitment to remember the goodness of God, even in the midst of remembering the awful, horrific reality that they lived through. In this book called Song of Exile, the author David Stowe explores this idea where he distinguishes between uh, Nimi and Anamnesis. So Nemi is, uh, it comes from Greek mythology and it's a memory that sort of pops to mind like unbidden. Whereas, and I don't know if I'm pronouncing this right, amnesis is the active work of remembrance. So this is actually a theological term that theologians grab onto when we talk about communion. That the the in worship, the faithful of God recall God's saving deeds. So Psalm 137 is an anamnetic am, exercise To sort of doggedly remember one's history, even in the face of monstrous and irrational evil, with the highest of stakes, right? The psalmist is saying, if we forget Zion, if we forget Jerusalem, which is to say, if we forget the faithfulness and the liberating and redemptive acts of God through history, if we forget the very presence of the living God, the sweetness of incense and the smell of, of smoke, of sacrifice, may we never make music again, May songs of praise never come from our mouth if we forget. I want to suggest or offer to you this morning, wherever you find yourself, whatever weight you are carrying, that part of the process and the journey of moving in and through grief and sadness and anger and difficulty is to not forget the goodness of God that you have seen and bore witness to the liberating and the redemptive moments, to not stop singing in the darkness, to not stop offering the sound of joy to silence, to not stop coming to this table that we call communion. And, and if we do, if we somehow forget, if we somehow get overtaken by the bitterness, if we give in to anger and resentment and despair, if we forget to actively and doggedly remember the redemptive and liberating acts of God through history, may we never again make music as a church. May we never sing another song of praise from our lips. So tell the stories. Recount the ways God has been faithful, even as you weep on the shores of Babylon. Either or usually doesn't help that much. And so again, even as you experience the wilderness and exile and struggle and anger and rage don't forget to remember the goodness of God. And some would argue that that's sort of um, selling out or, or moving on too fast or not being honest with the reality that we find ourselves in. And I would argue that's not true. The psalmist is totally honest with his reality and also with High stakes says may we never forget the goodness of God. May we never forget Zion, Jerusalem, the city on a hill that cannot be hidden. And so for whatever just and righteous anger, venom, even hatred that wells up inside of you, for whatever injustice, evil, and violence you cannot tolerate for one more second in the world, be honest about that. Don't forget And then we see in the the last part of the psalm, the psalmist releasing all emotions to the divine. This is the moment in the psalm where everybody remembers it, right? The psalmist essentially prays that the Babylonian children would be, their lives would be ended in a violent and awful way. Two things I wanna notice about this part. First is that every emotion is brought into the presence of the divine which is big enough and wise enough and and kind enough to hold it all and sort it out. One commentator said, it is an act of profound faith to entrust one's most precious hatreds to God, knowing they will be taken seriously. That's that's profound. Miroslav Volf, in a conversation with this author I, I mentioned earlier, David Stowe, in reading Psalm 137, he says, it gives voice to the violent emotions in me, so as to diffuse the impulse toward violent action. By placing unattended rage before God, we place place both our unjust enemy and our own vengeful self face to face with a God who loves and does justice. Stowe adds, everyone is potentially Judean, potentially Babylonian, potentially a victim, potentially a perpetrator. So bringing even the worst that is in me to the presence of God is an act of kindness, not only to myself, but to the world I inhabit. So first, every emotion is brought into the presence of the divine. And then secondly, even as awful as this prayer might seem, dash the babies of the Babylonians on the rocks, there is a thread, a heartbeat, a pulse of justice in this prayer, uh, Isaiah, the prophet, in chapter 14, verse 21, says this about Babylon. This is the the fate of the Babylonians. He says, prepare a place to slaughter their sons for the sins of their forefathers. They are not to rise to inherit the land and over the earth with their cities, which is to say, there will not be another generation of this oppression from this empire, according to Isaiah. Isaiah. So the prayer of the psalmist is in, is in, is in like the same uh, pulse, it's in the same key. It's to say, may there never be another generation of Babylonians. May there never be the boot of this empire on anyone else's neck. Psalm 137 is in the mouth of the powerless victims and not the powerful executioners, which makes a big difference. So the psalmist is honest commits to remembering and not forgetting the goodness of God, even in the midst of awful and horrible situations, and brings all, all of the emotion into the presence of the divine. As we close this morning, one of the things I love about the scriptures is the allowance for, the preservation of, the voice and pathos of the human experience, the passion Regardless of how theologically correct or incorrect it may or may not be, there's a lot of things in the Bible that are theologically incorrect, but they're there. And I love that because it's a human book written by humans. In Psalm 137, we find an oppressed and enslaved and exiled people group being taunted by their oppressors and their enslavers. And the psalmist wants us to have an accurate and honest picture of that moment. Nothing sugar-coated, nothing overblown, because honesty, I would argue, is the foundation of the spiritual life. And even in the worst moments, the psalmist encourages us, don't forget, keep telling the stories. You're not selling out by doing that. Keep singing the songs, the spirituals that come from these moments, testifying to the liberating, the redemptive movement of God. And bring every emotion, every passion, every rage, every venom into the presence of the living God. Where we can be shaped and molded. And our hearts can be shaped and molded by God whose heart is for justice. So then we can stand with God in the remaking of this world. Where things are wrong, we participate with God in the making of those things right. In you, in me, and in the world that we live in. So let me offer a word of prayer and I'll lead us into a time of silence and then out of that silence um, we're going to invite you to listen or to sing really a prayer, a song that asks the question will we ever rise? Which I, I think is, is in the same spirit as this psalm as we imagine these ancient people s- sitting by the rivers in Babylon saying will we ever return to our home? So pray with me. God, this morning, as we think about this um, this psalm and the people for whom it was written, and the place that we find ourselves thousands of years later, I pray that we uh, we would learn if we if this is a new muscle we're learning to flex uh, to be honest in Your presence, where we don't hold anything back, where we don't uh, we don't fake it, we don't leave questions unasked, or Uh, pretend that we understand when we don't or that we agree when we don't, but that we learn to be honest. And God, teach us, remind us uh, of the ways that you have been faithful. And may we never forget to retell and tell those stories of your liberation and of your action, of your redemption, of your restoration in our midst. And God, as we do, Would you remind us and teach us to bring all of ourselves that there is nothing that doesn't belong in your presence that is in us, even the darkness. So Holy Spirit, in this time of silence, would you move and speak, I pray. that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. He said, this is my body broken for you. When you eat of it, do it in remembrance of me. Remember who I was, what I did, what I taught you. Don't forget, tell this story again and again and again. And in the same way, He took a cup and he blessed it and he said, this is a cup, uh, a new deal, a new covenant between God and humanity. And whenever you drink of it, do it in remembrance of me. Don't forget, tell this story over and over and over again. And every time you come to this table, be reminded of the faithfulness and the liberating and the restorative and redemptive acts of God in your midst. So this is the table of, not of the church, but of the Lord. It's made ready for those who love God, those who want to love God more. Those who, so come you who have much faith and you who have little, you who have been here a hundred times before or maybe not for a long time or ever before. These are the gifts of God for the people of God. So come not because the church invites you or because I invite you, but because the resurrected Christ invites you to come and be fed at the table. So as you take the bread and serve one another or receive for yourself and invite you to hear these words, the body of Christ broken for you, take and eat. And as you take the cup, receive these words, the blood of Christ shed for you, take and drink. imagining like what kind of music would have been playing on the shores of Babylon as the psalmist wrote something like that. I imagine maybe it sounded something like that. Um, So even as we sit on our boulevards and our city streets and our homes, um, I hope and pray that this liturgy, this weekly rhythm of coming together uh, in whatever way we can right now is is holding on to you and is providing what you need to hear God, to be connected to uh, the scriptures in this story to one another. Even as we're apart, we're doing this together. And I hope and I pray that... Um, You don't forget, but you keep telling the stories, the stories that um, make Awaken Awaken and make the people of God the people of God, where who don't return evil with evil, but who return evil with hope and love and light. Um, So be those kinds of people live those kinds of lives. Maybe one day your kids and grandkids will tell those stories. So to the church gathered, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord lift up his face to shine upon The Lord lift up his face to you and be gracious unto you. I'm a little out of practice. And the Lord lift up his countenance to you and give you his peace in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Grace and peace, friends. See you next week. at www.facebook.com backslash
0: awakening community or on awakening community see you next time